Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Ben, and I'm part of Your Future is Our Business, which is a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students ages 10 to 18 explore careers by connecting them to adults through programs such as college and career expos, career panels, and other work-based learning activities. You're listening to our show, What to Be, where we interview and highlight the career journeys of inspirational people in Santa Cruz County. And if you've ever thought, hmm, how did I get that job? Or what is that job really like? Then keep on listening. And we would like to remind listeners that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or your future as our business. Please note that information provided during this program does not reflect this career in its entirety. And today we are joined by Catherine O'Day and learning about their journey to becoming an executive director for Save Our Shores. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. And Catherine O'D is an executive director for Save Our Shores. Could you tell us about your organization and what you do as executive director? Wow, that's a big question. It's a little bit loaded, <laughs> but yeah, feel free to dissect yeah. that however you like. Uh, well, Save Our Shores is a wonderful organization whose mission is to basically steward clean shores, healthy habitats, and living waters so that we have a, a thriving marine ecosystem along our central coast. And as executive director, I wear multiple hats on a daily basis. Right, as you imagine. Everything from kind of administrative work to keeping the doors open, sort of guiding and supporting staff, mm-hmm. working on strategy. I'm also sort of the chief advocate, so I do most of our advocacy work and go out and speak at city councils and board of supervisors meetings, urging them to take action for smarter ocean policies, like things around let's stop plastics from getting into our ocean, those sort of things. So it's never a dull moment. I also do fundraising, also a part of my role. So it's for people who don't want to be bored. Right. People who need a lot of activity, a lot of stuff going on. Exactly. Cool. And could you go in a little bit more into the skills and qualities someone would ideally have for your position? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it takes somebody who is kind of systems thinking. You, You have to be able to sort of grasp the big picture of what's going on. You have to be somebody who can envision what could possibly be and Mm -hmm. then develop kind of strategies and tactics to make that vision come true. You have to be a really good listener. Our donors, our friends, our supporters, our volunteers, they all have questions, they have ideas, they have opinions. We need to hear those. We need to hear them clearly. We need to be responsive. I don't think you have to have a master's degree in, in any particular... Well... Let me take that back, because today, almost everybody gets a master's degree. It's almost become a master's degree is like a high school education used to be way back when. A college degree would open many doors for you. Now it's more competitive, and so many people are getting master's. But in terms of scientific background or being, in particular for my role, an ocean scientist, You don't have to be that. You have to be somebody who, as I said, can see the big picture, can put the pieces together, Mm -hmm. can come up with a vision, have a strategy, but then also somebody who understands finances. We have to have a budget. We have to operate to that budget. We have to be responsible to our board members and our constituents that we're managing our, our money, the money that they give us effectively and efficiently. 
So you have to have kind of many different skills, but to be a nonprofit leader of any organization, it really takes passion, I would say, more than anything else, right, right. and the willingness to do your home homework. If you're really passionate about something, you can generally learn enough about what are the important aspects, mm -hmm. some of the science that you might need to know, and that sort of thing. But it's really for somebody who's got a broad perspective and is just really passionate about a particular issue and willing to put in, in the work. Right. Yeah. You, it sounds like you have to have this sort of visionary idealism aspect, but you also have to have the practical capability yeah. to, to right. pull that off. Right. You usually don't have to be a financial manager, so you should have some degree of IT knowledge. Everything works by computers today. Right. We have to be able to communicate that way. We have to have a website. We have to be social media savvy, but you don't have to be able to diagnose problems. You're not the IT manager. You just need to be able to ensure that computers are able to come on and right. you've got somebody to turn to if there is a serious issue. Gotcha. So, and yeah. what kind of hours do you normally work per, per week? Reaching 60, perhaps? Yeah, I would say yeah. 60 is fairly common, but you know, usually people who do this kind of work are so passionate about the thing that they're advocating for the thing that they're doing, supporting as a nonprofit, it doesn't seem like it's 60 hours a week. It, it, it's your life. It's right. what you want to be doing. It's generally fun. It's not a drudgery of eight hours a day of like, when can I get out of here? It's like, okay, what else do I need to do to make sure this keeps going? Okay, well, it's six o'clock. I can put in another half hour. Right. I can make this happen. But it's fun. It's it's driven from that passion. So circling back to the education earlier about the master's degree. Well, so what is kind of a typical education path for someone who wants to be facilitating these kinds of nonprofit organizations? Yeah. Well, I would say definitely a college degree. I mean, you need to sure. have skill sets again, like critical thinking analytical thinking, some knowledge of the, the topic that you're, the topic of the organization that you're working in, in my case, marine conservation. You need to be generally more outgoing than not. There's a lot of networking and relationship building, social skills, uh, communications really important, both writing skills as well as speaking skills, mm -hmm. sort of a comfort level with ambiguity. Things change rapidly in the nonprofit world. You might be going down a path and think you've got the strategy all figured out yeah. and then something happens and you need to be able to react quickly and take sharp right or something and, and, and adjust to that. Funding is a, a big piece of it. If we're expecting a large grant to come in and it doesn't or it's smaller than we thought, Again, we have to be able to sort of think on our feet, figure out, we still got to make this happen. How are we going to do it with a little bit less resources? Good or improvising. Improvision, yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot a lot of that. Good people skills. There are degrees you can get in nonprofit management. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, some people get those, and I'm sure they're very helpful. I, I haven't. I sort of work experience and, you know, right. learning on the job and, and developing, developing that over time. But you can get a degree in nonprofit management, or I think there's another degree in, like, public 
public policy or public uh, management, that sort of thing. Those would be helpful for people who want to want to go in that direction or go that far, or particularly if they're going to work for a nonprofit, maybe in a different sector like homelessness or you know more kind of social right. issues that require good policy understanding and, and sort of the, the complexity of, of how you navigate in the public space around things like that. I mean, we need things like that to some extent in the ocean conservation world, but, you know, because we do try and do a lot of policy work, but it's not quite as essential as somebody who's constantly dealing with the bureaucracy and everything that they're trying to do depends on navigating through that system of governance. Gotcha. And for those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. I'm Ben, and we're speaking with Catherine O'Day and learning about their journey to becoming an executive director for Save Our Shores. So I was looking also into a little bit of your history, and um, oh, actually, I saw also on your um, Save Our Shores website that you are looking to inform and educate the public, foster the next generation of ocean stewards, promote smarter marine environmental policies, and motivate and catalyze citizen action on a daily basis. That's a good it's a good mouthful. Very, yeah, a lot of action. In <laughs> Just that a sense. little bit of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I, the part that got me um, was that I'm curious about is the next generation of ocean stewards. So, what what is an ocean steward? Yeah, well, the way we refer to ocean steward is really kind of somebody who who is that outdoor lover who really loves the water, our great big blue out there. Mm. You know, there's a lot of them here in Santa Cruz. People Definitely. grow up as surfers. You know, I mean. Kids are kayaking at five years old. 65, 70-year-olds are still boogie boarding if they can't surf anymore. So I would say caring for about that. So what we're trying to do is, like, capture people while they're still young. Yeah. And, you know, but there also is in this community a lot of demographics that don't have such good access to the ocean. Their, Their parents are migrant farm workers. Maybe they live in Live Oak, and they're only even a couple blocks from the ocean, but it's not sort of front and center in their family's mind. They're just yeah. still trying to figure out how to get food on the table, and the kids learn English and have struggles with that. So we love to go into school, and we bring in kind of an alternative science. And I don't mean alternative that it's an alternative <laughs> to science, absolutely, but kind of alternative to the traditional science programming in schools and bring in an ocean literacy program. And we work with kids from kindergarten through high school, also sometimes into the colleges, especially our community colleges, mm-hmm. and, and begin to instill in them an understanding of what is the marine ecosystem? Why is the ocean important? You know, I mean, it essentially is the life-giving resource of our planet. If we totally. weren't a water planet, we all wouldn't be here. You know, like help them discover the amazing wildlife who make the oceans and the coasts their home. Open their eyes, giving them something else to think about. Right. So whether they're already an ocean lover because they've grown up with a family that goes to the beach all the time, or dad was a surfer, maybe mom too, or they're more underserved population who aren't so familiar with the ocean environment, we want to just make them curious. Open a door. Help them figure out 
wow, there's maybe an opportunity here. We always try to take kids out on field trips. Sometimes we do beach cleanups with them, so they see plastic on the beach. They learn, oh, that's not where plastics belong. Let's right. get that off of there, and maybe it helps change some behavior. But sometimes we have a group of kids where a good number of them have never been to the beach. We just let them go explore. We care for them. We protect their safety, but we let them run up and down the dunes, dig in the sand, and walk them down the beach ways and maybe we're lucky and we see some dolphins popping out of the ocean when we did once have a group of kids out there and came across a stranded sea mammal and made the kids keep their distance but right. allowed them to carefully look at it and Observe. sort of like what is that why did yeah. it get here why is it not in the water you know ask those kinds of questions and then after a little bit of that, this one student, his eyes got as big as saucers. And, you know, we were talking about how researchers will sometimes come. And if, unfortunately, the animal is stranded too long and it passes on, they can use that animal for research and better understand it. And, okay. you know, this one kid, his eyes got as big as saucers and said, you mean I could make money researching mammals? And we're like... Yeah, absolutely. And then you, they, they get this idea. And if we continue to be able to reach out to those kids and, and touch them in multiple grade levels, right. we hope that some of them will actually go into ocean degrees, oceanography, ocean sciences, marine sciences, mm -hmm. biology, whatever. Yeah. But as long as we're like getting them to understand how important the ocean is and why we need to keep our coast clean and healthy and how why habitat is so important and the diversity of species, then we've done our job. As they grow up, they're going to have respect. They're not right. going to be the people who are throwing cigarette butts in the sand or leaving plastic water bottles or yeah. not caring if their chip bag flies down the beach, you know, they're going to go run after it. <laughs> awesome. And was that something, something similar that happened to you where you were kind of introduced to the, to the ocean or to marine yeah. life in a similar way? Or was that more of a familial experience? Yeah. You know, that's an interesting question. I never really got to go on field trips to the ocean as, as a kid, but I've been going to the beach since I was about two Sometimes I almost think I actually remember that. I think it's the pictures I remember seeing of myself on the beach when I'm two. Uh, and, yeah. and this one in particular, my dad was about six foot two. And when I was two, I was probably two foot two, yeah. maybe, you know. <laughs> and my hand is reaching way up like this yeah. to hold his. And he's leaning down oh. and I'm able to jump the little waves laughing yeah. shore, you know. And so just that experience of always spending weekends, vacations on the beach or in the water, fishing and boating and right on. canoeing, whatever. Just, I, I can't live not near water, Right. preferably the ocean. A lake suffices, but if I can't get into the water, I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled as a person. It's very much part of my my soul and my spiritual being and is there, is there something specific about it you think or is it just the whole the yeah. whole package the whole experience or oh yeah it's the whole experience mm. you know it's yeah. sand in my toes <laughs> it's sun on my face mm -hmm. it's, it's cool water on my skin it's yeah. 
I mean, still, I go home after one of those extra long 10-hour days or whatever, and it's still light out and it's fairly warm. I go to the beach. I jump in, washes all the stress, whatever, yeah. away, and it's just, it's just good. And then I'm like, well, I can do this because partly I'm helping to care for this incredible, incredible yeah. resource. That's yeah. No, it's a good, a very healthy give and take going on. I think yeah, between you and the ocean. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And for those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM, Santa Cruz. I'm Ben, and we're speaking with Catherine O'Day and learning about her journey to becoming an executive director for Save Our Shores. We would like to remind listeners that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or your future is our business. Information provided during this program does not necessarily reflect this career in its entirety. So going on to your background, what was what were the steps basically that led you to where you are now with Save yeah. Our Shores? <laughs> well, I took a very kind of circuitous route to the work that I do. I mean, when I first went to college, I thought I wanted to write and illustrate children's books. So I was majoring in journalism and, and art. And then, you know, there was a requirement as a freshman to take philosophy. I took my first philosophy course and I fell in love. <laughs> I mean, that was just yeah. opening the door to thinking, analysis, understanding me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, some people, I guess, do it through psychology. I actually think philosophy is more opening, you know, and then a lot of people say, oh, that's just about asking the big why. Well, yeah, it is, but it's asking all the little whys, too, yeah. you know? My husband is like, oh, you're always asking me why. <laughs> why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But that's what it is. That's what it's all about, right? Yeah, totally. So... Of course, my parents were like, well, what are you going to do with a philosophy degree? And I'm like, well, I don't really know, but this is really important to me. And so, of course, I thought, well, I'll pursue a master's and a doctorate and I'll become a professor. Maybe I'll write a book. Right now, it's about figuring out who I am. And this is opening all sorts of doors. And so I went down that path and I would say... It's probably one of the best educations you could get for a job like this, because if we go back to what I said, it's Mm -hmm. about critical thinking. It's about seeing the big picture. It's about analysis. Right. Multiple perspectives. Right. It's about answering why. Answering why, yeah. And what, you know, Mm -hmm. and how. So I highly recommend kind of going down that path, but I didn't get a doctorate degree. I didn't go become a philosopher spewing ideas right you know i somehow got into engineering (laughs) interesting yeah and it was through a mentor i met in that process that i discovered well there's all sorts of different pathways Mm. you can go with this and and i first got into corporate sustainability and working with companies to help them better understand why they can't continue doing business like they are that right. you know it's polluting the earth it's killing our waters okay. it's on and on yeah. and on and you know, like how can you design your products differently how can you be more energy efficient how right. can you stop using fossil fuel etc cetera, etc cetera. and then through that i was able to get a job in the nonprofit sector 
and then joined one of the first organizations that was working with directly with corporations. Sort of prior to the 90s, you had mostly like the green pieces of the world who were right. showing what was wrong, protesting, and but then not offering the solutions. So some organizations started developing these these organizations, also nonprofit, that would engage directly with the with companies right. who were being targeted by the green pieces and organizations like them, and needed somewhere to turn for. Okay, well we get it. We're doing something wrong. How yeah. do we fix it? Okay. And so that was my first first pathway into the, this bigger picture is working with right. the corporate sector. Yeah, and I saw that you were also involved with uh, consulting on circular economy as well, and I'm I believe that ties into corporate oh, sustainability, right? Right. So, is the end goal ultimately kind of like a circular society where it's just all self-contained? Well, that would be the ideal, the right? Ideal. I mean, if we got yeah. to utopia, everything <laughs> would be circular. Yeah. I mean, all of our products would be designed no so ways. that when when I'm done with it, it either goes to somebody else or the company who made it takes it back and they, you know, kind of either remanufacture it or they break yeah. it down entirely and recycle the materials. But all of the, the molecules and energy, if you will, that's tied up in that product live on in the next product. Okay. And I don't want to leave that as just a corporate thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that I get so excited about circular economy is because it's through that that we're going to keep plastics out of the ocean. It's that kind of thinking that's going to help us. I mean, it's going to take a lot more than that, but that's going to help us solve yeah. climate issues and climate change. Circular economy is huge, and it means completely changing our economic model. Right. So that I mean, capitalism as we know it today is not a circular economy. I don't think we have to go to the extreme of, of socialism or certainly not communism, but we can have basically a, a capitalist economic model that is more friendly to planet Earth. Right. And I think with a circular economy, it even allows for growth without continuing to take more and more resources out of our our earth and our right cause, atmosphere because it is a growing demand sort of thing right with the yeah. process of industrial right hopefully right? it it will put it an end to just making all sorts of stuff we don't have any need for yeah. at all yeah but i mean as long as there are going to be people on earth we need food we need clothes we need shelter we'll need transportation certainly for a long time i mean Absolutely. personal transportation but we can design and, and build and then take back and reuse and reconfigure those things over and over again not continuing to deplete all the resources that the earth is abundant with and, and should be so we can continue to have a strong economy we can continue to have some growth it's just managed very differently operates very differently so going off of um, kind of climate change talk as as climate change seems to kind of accelerate and even the the dire consequences of it seem to grow a little bit more rapid seem to be coming at us more quickly what kind of changes or how do you guys prepare for that in, with what you do as a nonprofit for um, marine conservation? Yeah. 
Well, a lot of people probably don't immediately think how climate change is related to an ocean conservation organization, but there is such an incredibly direct link. It seems pretty intrinsically. You know, linked. I mean, yeah. the ocean, for one, is the biggest carbon sink. So I, I read somewhere, and I don't know if this is scientifically proven or not, mm. but it makes sense. I mean, the, the ocean takes up most of the carbon that we put into the atmosphere. Yeah. It's struggling to keep up with the amount we're putting in since industrialization, but it still ha is the largest carbon sink. And in fact, it has absorbed so much of that carbon. Normal temperatures, average temperatures, could be 20 degrees Celsius higher than they are today, which would be unlivable. Yeah. I mean, 20 degrees Celsius is around 60, I think, Fahrenheit. So, you know, even here in Santa Cruz, where we have this wonderful, basically, mostly 60 to 70 degree climate, yeah. we'd be at 120 to 130 degrees. I don't think we'd be surviving very well. Yeah. So our ocean is really important to our climate. Right. And then on the other hand, as it warms up, as it's absorbing all this carbon, it's it's acidifying, it's dying. We've got to stop that. We've got to find a way that it can still do its function. But we have to stop that amount of carbon that it has to absorb. Uh, as glaciers melt, etc., we're getting sea level rise. Yeah. And the temperatures in the water warm, and those habitats change, and the systems can't, the ecosystem can't support the life that it used to. So you have species dying off and new ones coming in, and there's incredible change in the ocean because of, of climate change. So right. we're looking at all of those things. We've recently launched a, a climate portal so we can keep everyone in the Santa Cruz area and all of our constituents, so even beyond. I mean, it's on the web, so it's yeah. anyone right. in the world can access it, but it's really geared towards our Santa Cruz Monterey community and informing them of what is climate change, but in a lay person's term. Not, I mean, it's science-based, but we're not talking like a climate scientist where we're, we're telling stories, we're sharing interviews and commentaries and linking to stories and studies and stuff and, you know, kind of something for use all the way to a scientist can get something from it. We have educational curriculum. It's a pretty rich site. And then we are launching a youth initiative where above and beyond just working in the classroom with kids and taking them out to the beach, we recognize that that's not teaching the kids the skills they'll need to engage in civil discourse. Right. So we are creating this new youth leadership movement to try and not dictate or prescribe to the kids what they should do and how they should do it, but give them a, a network, you know, a way to build a network, connect to each other, mm -hmm. connect to resources, foster their ideas, support them and encourage them. And to the extent they need some help with public speaking or letter writing or that sort of thing, we'll provide that. But mm -hmm. it, it's really youth-led in supporting how youth want to lead in the world, but with a focus on our two most important resources, our climate and our ocean. Awesome. That sounds, yeah. that sounds amazing. And if people are interested in checking out more of Save Our Shores or, or what your organization is about, where can they go? 
Yeah, our website is saveourshores.org. Very simple. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on our show, Catherine. Oh, my pleasure, Ben. Thank you. I hope someone's inspired. I think so. I think so. (laughs) And thank you to all our KSQD listeners for tuning in to today's career story with your host, Ben, on our show, What to Be with today's guest, Catherine O'Day, who is a executive director for Save Our Shorts. And if you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, send us an email at whattobeatksqd.org. If you enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays or stream online at ksqd.org. Thank you for listening.